got a black magic woman I got a black magic woman Yes, I got a black magic woman Got me so blind I can't see But she's a black magic woman And she's trying to make a devil out of me We spoke a few weeks back on this program with Stu Wexler, educator and researcher, and we note that at the moment he is in New Jersey having to deal with the fact that kids are going to have to go back to school. And of course, this is going to create all sorts of problems. Here to talk about uh, that struggle and what might be done about it is our good friend Stu Wexler. Welcome back to the program, Stu. Great to be on again, Doug. How you doing? Doing okay out here, but I am scared for you guys out there. Uh, we have no way of knowing that this is going to be safe to go back to school, something you've spent some time studying, and you actually have a presentation uh, for people uh, in your area to talk about this. And, and well, I guess I start out by asking, what, what have you learned about how things stand right now in terms of classroom safety? I think we're in perilous kinds of territory, mostly because everybody's preparing for things as if the science was in late May, when especially in the last month, there's been a big sh shift in the focus, or at least uh, one focus of where the disease is coming from, and it's a particularly bad problem for schools and old school buildings because it has to do with the quality of the air. Well, let's talk about that. Uh, people are thinking that if we're outside, we may be okay, but it's not that simple. Outside, is actually much, much safer on the whole than inside. But inside, there's a whole entire factor or sort of mode of transmission that becomes a much bigger problem and that is literally difficult for people to see and metaphorically has been difficult for people to see. And that is the tiny aerosols that come out when you're speaking, singing, sneezing, talking, and depending on how you wear your mask, the quality of the mask, and even with a mask, although mask is always better than non-mask, you're running the risk of those, those particles in the wrong kind of air in old buildings where the ventilation isn't up to snuff, where they're built for mechanical ventilation. Those particles, those tiny little particles, they float and hang in the air and they accumulate. They, distancing doesn't matter either when that happens because they float, hang, and they travel across rooms in, in stale air. They get into the vents, which get into other rooms, and they accumulate, and that's where you can get, many scientists increasingly believe, the kind of concentration or viral load where the disease can start spreading. If you were to describe the three kinds of places you don't want to go, the three C's, close together with other people, closed and enclosed spaces, third C suddenly slips my mind, <laughs> but... You, if you go with those, schools fit all the criteria for bad places to be during a respiratory infection. Well, I guess the first question is, I mean, is it, I don't, I don't imagine it's possible to put every student come September outdoors, and that means that some people are going to have to be indoors facing that increased risk. Well, my hope is that we do a combination of remote and some kind of outdoor instruction until the schools can fundamentally upgrade their air systems and get enough portable air purifiers that we can have a little bit more faith in going into the building. Is the money in the pipeline for that? 
Well, if the Republicans can get their act together, there is going to be anywhere between $100 billion and $175 billion in school aid from the federal government. And that actually comes to where there's about 100,000 schools, 1 million uh, to 1.75 million on average, depending on who gets their way, Republicans or Democrats. And that per, and that's per building, so that people understand. That's not even per district. It's going to be, you know, in my district, that would be, you know, seven to ten million dollars, and that should be enough in most places to make all of the kinds of fundamental upgrades you need. Now, will the money be there for the kind of stuff you might need to do outdoors? I think you're going to have to get creative, but it would be much less in most cases than what you would need, from what I can gather, to accommodate the air upgrade. You just probably accommodate both if the feds will get their act together. So I guess even though you're in New Jersey and you know, there's the possibility of rain and all sorts of inclement weather, you could probably get by let's say six weeks till October, mid-October, something like that. I mean, is, is there any chance in hell we're going to get enough equipment installed by then to keep keep kids going uh, once the, the cold weather closes in? My thought is, is looking at the last few years of weather that we could probably get to the first week of November. Okay. If we were to get going like if we were to not you know delay i'm not an engineer but i imagine if the school is completely empty for three months that we might be able to get it to work but i'll be honest the other component of what i would argue is and this would apply at different times in different parts of the country you definitely shouldn't be in the buildings you should be all remote during the peak of the flu season which is the, the winter Yes, you and, I, you and I have talked about this. Of course, other diseases are not going to go away, and they all show up uh, once we're all congregating in cooler weather. And, and now the question is, I mean, we're facing a, a double, triple whammy from other things, regular flu and, of course, corona. And I would argue it's, the effect is going to be even more intense from a psychological point of view right. because we've never been able to get flu out of the schools. If somebody gets flu symptoms and starts coughing very heavily well that's the COVID symptom and you know better than i as a doctor you know if you want to know for sure you're going to probably you know first have to get the doctor's appointment and then you're going to have to take a test that might take you know two to x amount of days there's there's fast ones but they're not as reliable for the flu so but what's going to happen when you know little johnny goes out having coughed oh like up his left you know lung from what may be just flu or bronchitis, but everybody's going to think it's COVID. <laughs> right. right. Uh, and until you find out what's going to happen, what are the people or who are going to school going to think? Well, if, if Mr. Smith goes home early because he thought he had a little bit of an allergy and things got much worse during the day, did he, is he even going to live, right, if he's old enough? Right. I think that's going to be a problem for most of the rest of the year with things like allergies, but I think it's just going to go hit like extraordinary levels when we hit flu season, which is why I would go all remote in the flu season anyway. And then return to being outdoors come spring? I'm speaking for myself here, not for any district or anything. I would combine all the the straggling holidays, the spring break, all of them together for one really long winter break. I would then come back probably for about a month and a half of remote learning and then come back to outdoors in mid-March or if God willing, we have some kind of massive, you know, widely available vaccine or some really effective treatments, maybe, and maybe by then, schools will have the kind of ventilation 
that you can walk him into the buildings with. Yeah. The teachers are the ones that are at risk, the adults. Um, you, you've no doubt been talking to the teachers' union and to the administrators about this. Uh, do, do you see that people are getting it? I should probably speak very hypothetically on this, <laughs> just in case. What I'm seeing is, and I hear this from people in other districts, I have friends who are teachers but are board members in other districts, there's shifts. But the one thing I'm worried about, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, I'm really worried that we're going to one more time try and compromise with the disease. Right? They're going to tell you, well, it's going to cost your district. You know, I know you just got $7 million. It's going to cost you 3 And somebody's going to say, well, we could use the 3 to expand you know, the football facilities, right? And, <laughs> oh, and, and just try and get right. away with a MERV-4 instead of a MERV-13 vental, you know, filter in your HVAC system, your air conditioning system. And as you know, viruses don't compromise. I think that's the... What the whole country should have learned by now. It's not like the virus is going to get larger particle size wise because you didn't want to spend the money for the better filtration system. Right, right, right. And I'm deeply worried that those are the kinds of compromises that I'm not saying in my district that are just going to be made across the country. Well, we're speaking here in late July. I think you're going to know a lot more uh, a month from now in late August. Uh, maybe you can come back at that point and see how things are shaping up because, you know, this is a, this is a nationwide problem. It's, it's a worldwide problem. A hundred percent. But we also, not to get too far afield, and put, but we aren't where a lot of the other places were when they reopened schools. So, I, you know, th- that's what also has to worry. Yeah, a lot of other places seem that they're managing this and feel... And in fact, I know there are some countries where they have never stopped having kids go to school because they were so effective in, in corralling the virus. Unfortunately, we're not one of those nations. A hundred percent. And the and the issue is, is that even in states that we would... Like New Jersey, which relative to every other state is very good. But if you look at the numbers, we're not where, you know, Norway was when they reopened schools. We're... we're closer to where Texas is, where like everybody's like, oh, wow, that's going to be a real problem for the schools. We're closer to that. We're closer to South Africa, who's had a complete disaster when they reopened schools with the virus still growing, than we are to Norway. Wow. Well, Stu, come back again in a few weeks. Let's do an update, see where this is all going, because this, uh, this is something that's concerning, I think, a very high percentage of our listeners. Um, well, I'd be happy to come back, and thank you for having me on. All right. You know, something else we need to look at in the coming weeks is where are American tourists banned or at least required to do a 10 to 14 day quarantine? We don't have a good answer for that. I tried to pull up a map on uh, on the internet to show this. It certainly appears there's lots of places where we are restricted or not particularly welcome, shall we say. Uh, preliminary indications are there are a, a lot fewer places we can go than ones we can. We just don't know details. We're going to try and find that out for you. It's not just America, of course. Uh, other countries are trying to decide who is safe and who to protect themselves against. Over in the UK, after a, uh, a hot spot developed in northern Spain, Britain has requiring uh, returnees from Spain to quarantine for 14 days. Uh, Norway is requiring you to... Re- to quarantine for 10 days if you came back from the Iberian Peninsula. 
And as we go along, it is, of course, difficult to know who you can trust, especially when you have an item like this coming out of Bangladesh. Writing in the Daily Star in that newspaper, Mohammed Jamil Khan noted, as repeated in the Week magazine, that a notorious con man has scammed thousands of Bangladeshis with fake COVID-19 tests. Apparently, Mohammed Saheed, 43, pocketed some 350000 U.S. dollars by running test clinics that didn't process most of the swabs. They simply gave patients a certificate declaring that they were negative. When the scheme was discovered, he evaded authorities for nine days before finally being caught last week trying to cross a river into neighboring India while wearing a burqa. The real question they note is, why was this swindler ever allowed to open a clinic? Shahed is the chairman of the Regent Group, a conglomerate with short-lived businesses and everything from construction to textiles to shipping that seems to operate primarily by fraud. For pretty much any business deal, he paid with bad checks, and when those he stiffed complained, he used to threaten them with severe consequences, invoking the names of top officials. He had his friends' phone numbers listed under the names of politicians, police chiefs, and when vendors came to him for payment, he'd pretend that a powerful person was on the line, promising to back him, showing the phone as fake proof. Well, we're glad he's under arrest over in Bangladesh. If he was here in America, he might be running for president. Now, we have to make mention of the fact that here in America, in the midst of all sorts of civil unrest, our president is sending in agents with no name tags, no identifying badges, who are detaining some people in cells without charges or explanation. They have shattered at least one protester's skull with a rubber bullet and fired pepper spray and flashbangs at groups of moms who formed a human wall to protect protesters. Yes, President Trump has basically declared open war on American cities with Democratic mayors. Writing in the Inquirer.com, Will Bunch has said that sagging badly in the polls, Trump's using the only re-election strategy left to him, fear and division, but added that this dictatorial strongman shtick is not going to win over many voters. It also is worth noting that the same president who says things are intolerable with his civil disobedience in cities and states with Democratic governors and Democratic mayors is the same guy that's been egging on civil protests in states and cities with Democratic governors and Democratic mayors to get this nation open up again. And we've seen how well that's working out, haven't we? Now, I think it's pretty undeniable at this point that there, a certain subset of these protesters are idiots. And, of course, opportunities arise during civil unrest for the worst elements of society to turn themselves into robbers and looters. But it likewise seems clear that some of these unfortunate incidences starting in various jurisdictions have been started by people pretending to be protesters on the left, but in fact, representatives of right-wing groups. Evidently, a man seen on video carrying an umbrella was the guy that started uh, some of the problems in Minneapolis by breaking the windows of an AutoZone store leading to looting. He's now been identified as a Hells Angel and member of a right-wing group. I believe some sort of white supremacy group. I don't know the name of it at the moment. But in any way, anyway, it's clear that some of these things are what you'd call false flag operations, of which we'll have more to say in a moment. Personally, I was a bit cheered on to note that House Judiciary Committee Jerry Nadler, Democrat of New York, openly accused U.S. Attorney General William Barr of helping President Donald Trump use federal law enforcement as a re-election campaign prop to combat recent violence in cities, which he said this Tuesday the 27th. 
Yes or no? Have you discussed the president's re-election campaign with the president or with any White House official or any surrogate of the president? Questioned Nadler, to which Barr said, I'm not going to get into my discussions with the president. Well, have you discussed those topics with him? Yes or no? Pushed Nadler, prompting Barr to reply, not in relation to this program. I'm a member of the cabinet and there's an election going on. Obviously, the topic comes up. The topic comes up in cabinet meetings and other things. It shouldn't be a surprise. Nadler remarked, I didn't say it's a surprise. I just asked you if you've done that before asking as part of these conversations with the president or his people about the re-election campaign. Have you ever discussed the current or future deployment of federal law enforcement? Barr declared that he isn't, quote, going to get into my discussions with the president, but I've made it clear that I would like to pick the cities based on law enforcement need and based on neutral criteria. You know, we, we, ha- we here at the program do have some connections to people who live up in the, in the Portland area, and I think we better use them to get some firsthand reports of what's going on because, you know, you're just hearing so many different things. Some people who's, uh, who I don't exactly trust as sources of information are describing the city as being completely under siege, a city basically being occupied by thugs and thuggery. We kind of suspect that's not dead-on accurate. But Mr. Mellon, let's make some phone calls and find out what we can from people we know, eh? Yep. We have a report here that uh, there was a peaceful Black Lives Matter uh, protest in Sacramento that was followed two hours later by people wearing helmets and Kevlar and smashing things up. Need to find out more about that. We are in the middle of some info wars. And no, I'm not referring to the Alex Jones program. There was a frontline special on uh, Alex Jones this week, which you may have seen. This came on the heels of a, a CNN special done last week by Fareed Zachariah about, uh, about all of these, what they're calling conspiracy theories uh, surrounding things like uh, QAnon that started out with this whole Pizzagate and morphed from that. The Frontline special was pretty interesting, noting that Alex Jones, described by Roger Stone as a character who nevertheless had lots of viewers, was quickly brought into the Trump campaign by Stone and other operatives working for Trump because... His base, that is Alex Jones's viewers, were the kind of people that Trump wanted for his base. And so they have joined forces. Alex Jones says some things that aren't crazy and says an awful lot of things that are. The idea that the Sandy Hook murder of children by a disturbed adolescent is a false flag operation put on by the government to, uh, well, I guess take away our guns. I'm not sure where he's going with the whole thing. It's, it's a crazy, crazy idea. When Alex Jones was put on trial by parents of, uh, of one of the victims for his uh, slander of them, saying that it was all faked, he admitted that, uh, well, he was unhinged, and that this caused him to say things that weren't true. Apparently, it didn't completely work as a legal ploy. One thing I find sort of, uh, I guess, not amusing, amusing, but n- not amusing, is the fact that all these shows talking about wacky conspiracy theories at some point or another refer to the JFK assassination. It's seen as one of the sort of granddaddy of conspiracy theories. And it is implied that anyone who believes that there's something funny about the murder of our 35th president is, is himself unhinged is a contention that, well, we, 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 we would have some problems with. Polls done not so long ago showed that something like 85% of the public rejected the notion that this was the work of one unhinged Marxist named Lee Harvey Oswald. We may never know the full extent of the, of the true story behind what happened that day back in 1963, but uh, one thing's for sure, from time to time on this program, we're going to make reference to it, because there are lunatic conspiracy theories, and there are 
people who are skeptical of official reports that get called conspiracy theorists, who are actually questioning dubious government claims. We made reference on last week's program to how we were going to put off talking about continuity of government to this week's show, but you know what? We're still not ready. If you, know, if you don't know anything about QAnon, dear listener, we encourage you to, to noodle around. There's an excellent L.A. Times piece uh, on it. A piece by Arit John, described as staff writer, had the headline, Satanism and Sex Rings, How the QAnon Conspiracy Theory Has Taken Political Root. It notes that the QAnon conspiracy theory is founded on the belief that the world is run by a powerful group of evil politicians and celebrities, including the Clintons, the Obamas, the Bushes, George Soros, and Hollywood celebrities, including Oprah Winfrey and Tom Hanks. QAnon followers believe President Trump is aware of this and is fighting against the entrenched deep state of bureaucrats within the government to bring them to justice. They call the moment when the Clintons and other members of the cabal will be arrested the storm. Apparently, this is inspired by an offhand comment that Trump made during the October 2017 photo op with high-ranking military officials and their spouses. You guys know what this represents? He asked the news media. Maybe it's the calm before the storm. Anyway, this stuff is disturbing. The disinformation and misinformation is getting out there. Social media just facilitates this. I think Mark Twain once said that... uh, a lie can get halfway around the world before the truth can get its pants on. Boy, that's truer more than ever in our present era. I was talking to a former colleague of mine. We used to work together in various urgent care settings. He's, he's a smart guy. He's a good guy. He's a good doc. And when I started talking to him about all of this pandemic stuff, well, I, first of all, was shocked to realize that the clinic that I used to work in with him is now closed, except for things like occupational medicine and people who do not demonstrate infectious diseases. If you come in, you're sick, you got a cough, you're presumed to have COVID, you're told to go elsewhere. He told me he did not agree with me and my assessment of the fact that Donald Trump was dropping the ball in an epic fashion. After he put me on speakerphone, his girlfriend piped up and said, what do you think of this guy, Anthony Fauci? I said, I said I was glad he was around. She said, well, what about this $3.7 million that he shipped over to that Wuhan Virology Center over there in China? To which I asked, you know, where are you going with this? To which they added, well, we just, we just wonder about Fauci. And The Guardian noted a few days ago, this was dated Tuesday, July 21st, that the U.S. public is increasingly skeptical of COVID-19 death tolls. 31% of respondents to a survey... According to an Axios-Ipsos poll, said they believe the number of Americans dying from COVID is in reality smaller than the public data portrays. Skepticism was up from 23% in May. It was noted that skepticism about coronavirus statistics was heavily correlated with media consumption habits. A 62% majority of Fox News watchers said the stats were overblown, while 48% who reported no main news source thought so. Only 7% of CNN or MSNBC watchers thought so. The Guardian noted that denialism about the virus is growing at a time when the U.S. faces an unprecedented emergency of exploding case numbers and when the urgency is acute for coordinated action to prevent an uncontrollable outbreak. That's according to epidemiologists. Well, good luck with that. That was on the 21st of July. Six days later, the president is retweeting a doctor telling us that we shouldn't be wearing masks and it's all BS, there's a cure out there, and it's just being suppressed. The president retweeted that. 
We predicted on this show months ago that there would be, you know, a, a battle over information, the likes of which we have seldom seen before in this country. And it appears we are smack in the middle of that. I got to spend a couple minutes on the fact that before that frontline uh, documentary came forth, there was one on the Clinton years. It was unbelievable to watch how a special prosecutor named Ken, Ken Starr ran an eight-year investigation that started with Whitewater, couldn't find any crimes, and managed to, after looking and looking and looking for crimes, which is not what a special prosecutor is supposed to do, and yet they managed to impeach Bill Clinton for the fact that he had sex with a woman who was not his wife. Well, technically, he was impeached for perjury, which had, which had to do with the fact that they knew he was going to lie if they managed to get him into a courtroom, which they did for the Paula Jones case, not the Whitewater case, not Ken Starr, and of course, for his supposed obstruction of justice. Now, Jeffrey Tubin has an article in the current New Yorker about our current president, the Mueller report, how easy Mueller went on the president, and how there is ample evidence that the president committed obstruction of justice as regarded the investigation of his campaign's connections to Russia. Now, a guy whose lawyer is in jail, in part for the illegal payoffs he made for the president having sex with women who were not his wife, Never managed to get Donald J. Trump into a courtroom to be asked questions under oath so that he could be charged with perjury. Oh, this always seems to happen. We're running a little short on time, and I've got something that requires a little bit of going through. I don't want to get short shrift. It was fascinating that I had the Tubin article in my hand that I was going through as the Clinton documentary was going forward, and then Jeffrey Tubin pops up on the screen talking about what happened then, and the New Yorker is talking about what is happening now. I think I do have time to quote from one or two paragraphs from the Tubin article, referring to how Attorney General William Barr had a very sympathetic presentation about how the new president was struggling with all of these issues, and he had to face all these pesky charges against him. The Attorney General, of course, has uh, completely downgraded the Mueller investigation. He's done everything possible to, uh, to censor its findings, to misrepresent its findings. Tubin noted that Barr neglected to mention in his fawning remarks about the president that the Mueller investigation had taken place because the Russian government had engaged in a systematic attempt to help Trump win the election, an attempt that the candidate and his staff encouraged. It was true that Trump believed the investigation was undermining him, but self-pity does not represent a defense of his efforts to interfere with the investigation. And the only reason that Trump took quote, no act, unquote, discredited by Barr to interfere with the investigation was that his subordinates, including Don McGahn and Corey Lewandowski, refused to follow his directives to do so. And uh, I note that there are some people who think the whole Russiagate uh, matter is just one big giant hoax. They are sometimes the same people that think coronavirus is a big giant hoax, but surprisingly, sometimes people from the opposite political persuasion, which puzzles me. And why, frankly, I can't, I can't do this in just a couple of minutes. We've got to spend more time on the Tubin article and this. But at this point, I want to circle back to the Mark Theusen article from July 10th of this month, wherein Trump told Theusen, no one has been tougher on Russia than I have. Trump's spin on this, or attempted spin on this, is as amazing as what he's trying to do with the COVID pandemic. Trump told Theusen, that in 2016, President Barack Obama knew before the election that Russia was playing around. 
which he then fuzzed up with saying, or he was told, whether, it, whether or not it was so, who knows? Well, yeah, we know. But Trump said, and he said nothing. And the reason he said nothing was that he didn't want to touch it because he thought Hillary Clinton was winning because he'd read phony polls. So he thought she was going to win, and we had the silent majority that said, no, we like Trump. Now, here's Donald Trump saying that it's an outrage in the 2016 election. Barack Obama was told that Russia was interfering with the process and to his great discredit, did nothing about it. The same process that helped Trump get elected, which he has denied at every step of the way, actually took place. We've been told for some time now that Russia is going to try and interfere with the 2020 election, and we think that is an utterly reasonable thing to guess they are going to do. By the way, over in the UK, successive governments reportedly are ignoring a sophisticated Russian campaign to interfere in Britain's democracy, according to a Parliamentary Intelligence Committee report released last week. This 50-page document says the Conservative Party turned a blind eye to attacks on Russian exiles and let Russian oligarchs launder illegal money buying up London properties. These oligarchs, the report explains, were then given connections at the highest level with access to UK companies and political figures. British leaders also deliberately glossed over allegations of a Kremlin-sponsored influence campaign during the 2016 Brexit referendum. Kevin Jones, a lawmaker with the opposition Labour Party, said the outrage isn't that there is interference. The outrage is no one wanted to know if there was interference. Speaking of disinformation, the Associated Press is reporting this week that two Russians who have senior roles in Moscow's military intelligence service, known as the GRU, have now been identified as being responsible for a COVID disinformation effort reaching American and other Western offices. That's according to U.S. government officials who spoke to the AP on condition of anonymity, which, of course, makes it a little bit suspect. But we're inclined to uh, give it some credence. The article also notes the disclosure comes as a spread of disinformation including by Russia, becomes an urgent concern heading into November's presidential election. They note that U.S. officials seek to avoid a repeat of the 2016 contest in which Russia launched a covert social media campaign to divide American public opinion and to favor then-candidate Donald Trump over Democratic opponent Hillary Clinton. Something which the president now criticizes Barack Obama for not having taken a stronger stand against. That's the world we're living in. And according to the United States, United Kingdom, and Canadian governments this past week, Russian state hackers have been trying to steal research on coronavirus vaccines being developed by Western pharmaceutical companies. The group Cozy Bear, associated with Russian intelligence and implicated in the 2016 hacking of Democratic Party servers, has been trying to break into vaccine databases using malware and phishing emails. U.S. intelligence said the attempts don't appear to be aimed at sabotaging the research, but rather at stealing data to aid the Russian vaccine effort. And there is so much more we want to say today, but we are out of time. This program was produced by Edward McMillan, who says he intends to remain COVID negative by not taking a test. I'm your host, Douglas Everett, who must confess he did not get, get around to reading that, uh, that article by Joel Achenbach from the Washington Post, but we'll do it next week. See you then.